You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Create Photography Retreat. You can join several of the hosts from the Master Photography Podcast Network at the third annual Create Photography Retreat in Las Vegas, March 28th to 30th in 2019. If you have never been around hundreds of photographers just as passionate as you are about photography, you really have to come and join us. It is such a great experience. Tickets are so reasonably priced too over at createphotographyretreat.com for only $437. And if you use a link from the show notes and the offer code MP podcast, that's capital M, capital P, capital P podcast, you and at checkout, you will save an additional $30 off the ticket price. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show, all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and I'm joined at the roundtable by Brent Bergherm and Brian McGuckin. How are you, fellas? Hello, doing well. Doing well. Uh, it's so good to hear from Brian. It's been a while since we've had him on the show today. Um, in the first half of the show, we are going to talk about... Uh, and listener question from the Facebook group, how to light a very large group of people. We're going to get into that. If the, at the end of the show, um, with the holidays, or sorry, at the end of the show, if we have time, we're going to go through some, some things about shooting video too, but, but we'll see if we get there. Um, before we go on to those topics though, Brian, you've been gone for so long from the, the podcast episodes. What's been going on with you? Uh, I haven't been gone. I've just been absent from the from the recordings. I yes, guess is yes. the best way to say it. Uh, <laughs> life has been happening. You know, I am a full time sixth grade social studies teacher, and so that obviously is very consuming. Uh, typically, more than a forty hour job, and then also my pretty much full-time photography business keeps me busy and the fact that I have four amazing kids who are involved in everything and I try to get involved in it with them uh, you know it makes it hard for us you know it's it's pretty amazing actually that any of the podcasters that our schedules do align for us to be together yeah um, it's true you know so the times that I think I could have been are times when it, it had already happened or was about to and so you know, it's it's life. Life happens, and um, yeah. So that that that's what I've been up to. Well, I'm just nothing, super. Nothing like exciting. Like I can't say. Uh, I mean, I was in Washington D.C. this weekend, and maybe I went one other place. I can't remember. But other than that, like nowhere fun that I've traveled to to be like, oh, I've been on the other side of the world shooting this or that. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I mean, yes, life happens for all of us, and I'm just really glad we could have you on this episode. It's going to be really fun. Thanks. Looking forward to it. All right. Yeah. And like you were saying with the schedules, you know, we have people in, you know, all, all across our, our great country and yeah. different time zones. And uh, thank goodness for Thanksgiving breaks. So we have Brian <laughs> right. here mm -hmm. and uh, I'm celebrating a Thanksgiving break as well. So it's it's nice to have some time off from the, the day job. And, and just kind of funnel it into this stuff. So, yeah, the, so the, this episode is going to air on, I think, the 22nd or sorry, 29th um, of November. But we're recording it on the 21st of November. So uh, we, we, uh, we're all kind of into our Thanksgiving holiday, uh, getting started on that. And we yeah. wish everyone a belated Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving at this you point bet. since you'll hear it afterwards. All right. I love this question that we were going to start with from Jessica Jean in the Facebook group. We're going to cover it here in a fair amount of depth. And, and before we go into the question, I just want to remind everyone the Facebook group is there. You can search for Master Photography Podcast on Facebook. You'll, you'll see the group. You do have to answer a question to join. It's super tough. You have to name a host on the show. So, uh, and, and we just can't let anyone in that doesn't answer the question. It's the, the easiest way to make sure that the bots and the spammers stay out of there. We want people that are only actual listeners of the show in the group. And so, yeah, you have to name a host. So that'll work. Brian will work and Brent will work and Jeff will work. So, just put that in there and you'll be whisked it right in. If you don't answer the question, we're not going to let you in. All right. Um, so, I, I like this question so much from Jessica Jean uh, because this has actually happened for me a lot over the last three or four years. 
And where I get contacted by somebody, usually a friend of mine, and they're asking, they're, they're, they, they feel like they're burdening me um, because they know I don't do this professionally. I'm not a professional photographer. I'm a hobbyist photographer. And, and they don't want to burden me on the holidays in particular. But they usually have some story about like my extended family. They're all coming in for Thanksgiving or for Christmas. It's the first time in, you know, 20 years or something like that, that they're all going to be together. And grandma is usually the one that's spearheading this. Grandma wants a professional photo. She wants the whole group to come dress nicely, look good so that they can have a photo taken together because they, she may not have, have it happen again and, and is worried about that. And, and so I, I, I like doing those kinds of shots. It's really kind of fun to get those whole families together. It's not as much fun to think about giving up some of my holiday vacation time to, uh, to going and doing it, but it, it usually works out and, and I like make helping them make the memories that are there. Does that happen to you guys, Brian, Brent? Do you guys have that? You I know, tend to get, sorry, sorry. go ahead, Brian. <laughs> um, I don't really get them around holidays as far as families go, but there are a couple of different groups. Every Indy 500, I usually have to do a shot that has approximately 200 people. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And then usually, probably coming up in January, there's an, a group that comes to Indianapolis every year and they'll have three to 400 people that I have to try to get a, a big shot of. And that's usually in some conference hotel room. Uh, other than that, I don't usually get like large families asking for it. What about you, Brett? And for and for me is when we get together with a family for holidays, we're pretty much me, and my folks, and my brother live in the Northwest, and we're really the only ones of our family that live in the Northwest. Everyone else is on the East Coast, so I never get to see them. When I do see them, that's when they're all like, oh, wait, Brent's a photographer. Let's have him take this picture. Yeah. And it's like, oh, of course. I, okay, fine. I can do that. And that's, you know, do what I can to to work with what we have. But I have had other people hire me with uh, family reunions. And so, uh, we'll talk about some of that as we get into the details sure. here. But yep. so, so, I've certainly done that. But yeah, when it comes to my own family, it's just not a huge group because there's only like 12 of us uh, at the most, if you include the kids. So, okay. So, yeah, it, it, it does become really different trying to do a, a really large group. And she's talking about 80 people here. So, that's, that's a pretty significant group. But she, she's got three questions that she had in the Facebook group. And I'm going to, I'm going to read you the questions and then we're going to dive through each one of those and, and try to, to share whatever tips or tricks that we've got for Jessica. Uh, we already, I already answered a bunch of these questions, at least what I have to say about it. Uh, in the Facebook group, but hopefully she's listening and, and will take away more from it. I don't know if it'll be in time though for, for her suit. I think it's coming up pretty quick here. So hopefully she's, uh, she's going to have some things to tell us about how it went over there in the Facebook group. But let me go through the questions that we have here. So she says, um, can you give me some advice? I've been hired to do my first indoor event where the client wants photos of each individual family and one large 80 people, one large group, 80 people. I have recently purchased a 24 to 70 and two soft boxes and two umbrellas for my speed lights. Here are my questions. Number one, what's best for this event? Soft boxes or umbrellas? Number two, how far away should I have the lights from the smaller groups and for the gigantic group? Number three, what settings should my camera and speed lights be at? All right. So we're going to start off with the, some of the challenges with the group size. I think we need to kind of start there. And, um, so the, the first thing that came to mind for me was one of your challenges you have with a group of 80 is how are you going to pose all of 80 of those people in a way so that you can actually see the faces of all 80 people? It's, it's really challenging. If you've never tried to do it with a group, the, the last one I did was only 32 people. So it was less than half the size. And it's kind of a challenge. When, when I set up those 32 people, I put them in four rows. Actually, my wife did. She's, she's the one that's really good at this posing stuff. So she takes care of all that. But she put them in four rows. And then we had the, like the first row kind of sit down. We had a, a bench for the grandparents and, and we had the, some of the kids kneel down and then, um, carefully positioning people, uh, three rows back from that so that their faces are in between gaps. And uh, still trying to get family members next to each other too, like the the sub families within the larger extended group. 
And, and it was, it's a challenge. It took her a while just to get it so that we had it situated so you can see it. And if you more than doubled that, it really becomes a, a pretty significant challenge. So what, what advice do you guys have? Brian, you, you said you do 200 people in a photo. How do you get it so that you can see the faces of all those people? That's a good question. Uh, and sometimes when you have so many people, you just, you don't. <laughs> okay. Um, because a lot of times you're on a time squeeze, or at least for like the Indy 500, uh, one of the celebrities or drivers will come in and it's very much, I've got two minutes to do the shoot. Um, and so uh, I guess to jump back a, a bit, one thing I do with this large group is before we do the large group, uh, we do smaller groups because they come from different regions. And we have, um, a, there's a riser and there's a couple steps in front of it that they can set up there. And I've done this every year with this company, I think for about eight years now. And one of the best things that I've ever done was, and I have a lady who assists me with this, is we have a notes page and we count up, okay, if there are, you know, eight people in the group. How many people do we want on the bottom? How many on the riser? And how many on the stage? You know, so it might be like three, two, and three, you know, which because that will give us eight. And so if you're, if you're going to end up doing this professionally outside of families and you, you have this group that you know is, there's going to be kind of a, a similarity each time, it's nice to have a cheat sheet. And it goes all the way up to if there's a group of 15 for us, because then you don't have people standing around. You know, it's like, okay, I need six people here. I need five people here. I need six people up there. And it's boom, boom, in and out. So that's been helpful. But uh, I guess, I'm sorry, to really answer your question, when you've got 200 people, the main thing for me, because a lot of times it's on like a flat surface, is trying to get myself up higher. Right. So I'll have a 15 foot ladder that they'll get for me that I'll kind of climb up to the top. And that immediately will make a huge difference in the amount of faces you can see. How about you, Brent? What have you done? Pretty much the same thing. The one that I think of most recently was actually a family reunion that was also uh, coupled with a memorial service. And so there was certainly a, this somber attitude going on. Everyone was just, you know, let's get the photo there. There, there was not the, the joyous that you, atmosphere that you normally think of, but they all wanted to have this picture because it really meant something to each of them. And there's a certain responsibility, I think, that as a photographer, you definitely have to be directing people and tell them what you expect of them. But another thing is, you know, if they're looking somewhere else and they're not looking at your camera, it's really hard yeah. to, you know, take responsibility for that too, because they're just misbehaving, so to speak. But the latter idea I like that in this particular case, I actually found a subtle hill. So uh -huh. there was a little bit of a slope that the people were on. So it's kind of like what you're talking about, um, what he was talking about with the riser and putting people on a stage or something like that. So we had this subtle slope. I think I went with three or four rows and then I was on a ladder that was roughly in the neighborhood of 12 feet tall. And then I had the flash on a boom up above me because you want to be able to do what you can to uh, even that out a little bit because if you have if you left the flash down low the flash is going to be significantly closer relationship you know as, as far as the distance from the flash to the first person the first row versus the flash to the last person the last row and so you want to lift that up so you don't have any weird shadows, but also it evens out somewhat the distance that you're measuring from the flash to each individual person. And so they'll be more evenly lit. And so that would be another goal that I would have for that as well. Yeah. Okay. So something, go ahead, something that Brent mentioned that I just want to make sure I address with that is you, you, can't, you can't just put people on a hill. Because that doesn't solve the problem. You right. still, like Brent said, you know, you still got to get up higher. And that's the ideal situation. If you do have a hill or steps, that lifts them up. And then if you can also get yourself up, then that makes it better. Because otherwise, if you have people on a hill, you're at the bottom of the hill shooting right. up. And that yeah. doesn't really solve the problem. <laughs> right. It's not going to help. So, it, right. And, and the concept of risers, that's another thing. As I was talking with her, I, I didn't know exactly where she was going to be shooting. She didn't include that initially. She did later say, nope, she's inside. So, and she's going to be constrained by a ceiling and it's going to be tough conditions for her to get this done with that many people. It sounds to me like, but if you have the ability to do something else, trying to get into, I don't know, like a high school uh, basketball gym where they might, you might have the stands there that you could use or the go to the high school football field. If, if someone let you get on there. 
um, so that you can leverage those for the, the photo. Somehow, trying to get the people up on a riser a bit, but then also get yourself up is, is going to make this a lot easier. Um, she's even, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say even like steps to government building. Sure. You know, those tend to look nicer and I don't think that's breaking the law. You know, maybe I should clarify that, but, <laughs> but those tend to look like nicer buildings at times. So yeah. Any way you can get the people so that the, the people in the front are lower than the people behind them. Uh, so that you can get to the, their faces to be seen is, is going to be super helpful. Uh, but it's, it becomes a challenge when you get these numbers, when you get large numbers of people. All right, let's let's go to the next part of this. Did you have something uh, else, Brent? W- one quick, yeah, one quick place too. If you're a member of a church that has some kind of uh, stage that you know you usually have four or five different steps that you can go up. You know, it's very common for wedding folk that shoot wedding to put people on these different levels sure. as people go up to the stage. So you know, if if during your family gathering, if if church is one of those things you do, then certainly consider maybe trying to arrange that five minutes once everything is done, the people have left, throw people up there and, and maybe that'll work for you. It might not be able to bring the flash in, but maybe there's well lit enough anyway. I don't know. Just something that came to me. Yep. But something else that she needs to consider is if she's limited in the like a living room space, you know, you can sit there and think, oh, great, we can get away with just two or three rows of people. Well, yeah. then you've got to have a wider shot. And a wider shot is going to also include more ceiling and more floor, which will possibly include a couch or a table that's in the photo. So that's the benefit of, you know, trying to get more of like a square in a way uh, to where you have not a whole bunch of space on the top or the bottom and also not a whole bunch of space on the, you know, on the sides being wasted. Right. So, you know, sitting, um, I do this at school. We do an award ceremony for the kids and I just, when we're done, I bring out usually 40 kids into the hallway and I'll have the first group of kids sit. The second group of kids behind them are kind of kneeling, but then they sit on their knees, if that makes sense. So Uh they're up a little bit. And then the group behind them are on their knees. And then I have the shorter people and then the taller people. So right there, you've got five rows, which makes a huge difference. Right. And then do you get up on a a ladder or a chair? No, these are sixth graders. So they're (laughs) kind of short and I'm six one. So uh, sometimes, sometimes I will just sit there and hold my phone up, but you know, I'm, I'm taller than them. So that helps. Yeah. Okay, that's good. So, so yeah, getting the people so you can see all their faces is, is number one challenge. Probably that's the first thing you're going to have to deal with, and she's going to have it tough. There's, uh, she said this is actually, a, I think it's a retirement facility they're going to. It's someone's hundredth birthday, and so I presume they're going to have a bunch of kids. So that that's going to be an option to move them in the front and get them to kneel down, like Brian just suggested, and then fill in as you can with all the other people. And it's going to take a bit to get them all positioned. Um, all right, let's talk about the lighting. That's really what she was asking about. She didn't even ask about the, the setup of getting the people to be seen. Um, but that, that's going to be a big challenge. All right, so lighting. Her question was softboxes or umbrellas for lighting 80 people. So let's go to Brent first here. What do you think, Brent? For 80 people, if I could have a couple of lights, I would still probably prefer the umbrella. It's just going to scatter that light everywhere, and that's certainly a good thing. Uh, I have seen another photographer locally that the university hires for graduation. He'll get up in a cherry picker, and mm-hmm. so he's like 40 feet in the air, and he's got a bear bulb with him. He, It's a white lightning unit, but it's with a cone, so it is going towards the group. But since he's so high up in the air, you know, light modifier isn't really going to make a difference then anyway. So he just wants to have the maximum uh, punch from that flash. And so it depends on how far away you are from the people. I would imagine in this scenario with 80 people, uh, two umbrellas would probably be sufficient. Three would be much better. Okay. So, and and let's talk about the position in in just a second here. But Brian, what do you thought? Any, Any different on that? Would you choose umbrellas too? Uh, when I do the large group like that, yes, I, I would recommend if she's doing the smaller individual families, a softbox for that because it allows you to be closer sure. and place them closer. But for a larger group, I would I go with the umbrella. Okay. And, and when we say umbrellas, just for people who may be a lot newer to this, I try to look out for them as a hobbyist that it took forever for me to get the lingo down and understand what people are talking about. So I try to, to uh, defend <laughs> the territory for them. 
Uh, reflective umbrella is what we're talking about here. So this is the kind that are black on the outside and silver on the inside. And you point the flash. We just, <laughs> Brent and I just talked about a, a photo last episode where they didn't actually point the flash into the umbrella, which would be a, a mistake and, and really <laughs> not helpful at that point. But you point <laughs> no. the flash into the umbrella. And the idea is it's going to enlarge the, the light source that way. And the, the cool thing about reflective umbrellas is you don't lose a lot of light. The, you get almost a, the same output for, that the flash has uh, out of that umbrella. It's going to reflect nearly everything back onto the subject. So you don't lose a lot of power there. You enlarge the light source. You, if you can get it as close as you can to the people. Um, in this case, there's a challenge there like Brent already alluded to. But um, th- then that, that really helps and you, you get a lot of power out of the flashes. When you use a softbox, the the biggest component of, of the softbox is it has this really big diffuser on the front of it. It's going to block a lot of light. It, it does a really good job of spreading the light out and softening the light, making it so that the light doesn't produce these really harsh shadows. And um, But it, it also means that you don't get the full power out of the flashes. Uh, the, the light gets dampened, I guess you could say diffused is, is why it's called that. Um, and so, so the soft boxes are not going to be the best choice when you have this many people to light. What, what kind of number, Brent, would you give it? Just take a guess on, on kind of the group size limit when it would, you would take it from a soft box to a umbrella. Well, if I was going with a normal size soft box, when I think normal, I'm thinking the neighborhood of a two by three foot soft box. I would be able to use that, I think, with maybe three or four people. If I'm going five or six, possibly I could still use it, but I start to get to the edge and say, okay, I either need to have another softbox or I want to have uh, the umbrella. Uh, So if you're limiting me to one light as the main source, uh, then I would probably say like four, maybe five people for myself. Mm -hmm. And then if you had two, we'd go up to... Ten maybe. If I had if I had two, I could probably see going to between eight and ten. Uh, though you're still going to have quite a variance in how that light is is going to be received by by the individual. Because the person that's all the way on the left, let's say their shadow structure is going to be different than all the, the people that are all the way on the right. Uh, because that softbox is still more or less, it, it just doesn't scatter like an umbrella does. Uh, that's why I like umbrella for larger groups. So I I would have to have two for sure with that large of a group. And I would probably lift them up fairly high and just kind of have them raining down with, as a bank of light rather than trying to think about, you know, working special something's, you know, whatever that special thing is that, that you can get with an individual or two people, you're still going to kind of back it up and you're going to pretty much make it a little more generic of a lighting scenario. All right. And then I think, I think one ahead, thing Brian. we need to clarify, and I'm not positive, Jeff, that you said this is when you're typically, when you use the umbrella, it's the flashes, you're not shooting the light kind of through the umbrella, like a soft box. It's reflecting right, off of right. it yep. to spread out, to light up the group. And cause sometimes people will kind of use just, you know, a white umbrella as a soft box. Right. But right. we're talking with a large group um, it's like the flash is pointing away from the group to where it hits the inside of the umbrella, which usually has a metallic cover or something. And then the light bounces off of that. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's what I was trying to explain. So I'm glad you did it better. <laughs> maybe, maybe you did. And maybe I just missed that part, but no, 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 it's, it's good. I thought that was key. I'm glad I, I want to have it be as clear as we can make it even for people who have never done it before. So that that's kind of the, the goal here. All right, so we've talked. We're, we're all decided. Umbrellas are a better choice here. The, the group is just too large. You, you're yeah. going to have even with two soft boxes, as she said, she has available. Even ten is probably pushing it on getting the so that the group can be well lit by the two soft boxes. So we're, uh, umbrellas are, are going to be the best choice here. Now the placement of them that was kind of a big part of her question, and Bray already talked about this a little bit where. If you have it, usually we want to get those the the light source in there as close as we can possibly get it to the group, especially when it's a softbox with that diffuser producing the nice soft light that that uh, produces a, a very gradual shadows on the face. Um, we want to get it right up next to them, make it as big yeah. as a light source as you can, and get it right up next to them. Umbrella is a little different, and in this case, you have a big group you're trying to light, so you have this problem like you talked about with. If you put it really close to, say, the first row of people, 
then that th- fourth or fifth row back, sixth row, whatever you've got is not going to be nearly as well lit. And so you could end up with even like hot spots on the people at the front and almost right. no light on the people on the back. So positioning, how, how do you position it? Let, let's give it specific to her surroundings here. She's in that, in a, in a building. She's got constraints with the ceiling. How do you position these umbrellas? Well, I guess it can depend on how tall or how high the ceilings are. Hopefully, she's got something like 20-foot ceilings because I would want to position the lights fairly high. Yep. And that would allow me to fairly equalize that that distance from the light to the first people and from the light to the last row of people. And and by being able to do that, you're just able to uh, keep those hot spots from happening. You're, you're probably still going to have some variance there. You're just going to minimize that variance. So yeah, as high as you can get it now, it, and the reason for high is is so that the shadow that gets cast from the person in the front to the person behind there, there's going to be a too. shadow, right? <laughs> you don't yes. you don't want that shadow on their face. Um, I have done this before, <laughs> and I've tried I tried so hard after the fact in post to fix this, and it is <laughs> it is not easy. <laughs> it, it's almost impossible to change it. Where you have like the the shadow from one head that is like half covering the person behind them. And yeah. you can see their face, but the shadow is there <laughs> kind of half covering them. And it is brutal. It is so awful to try to fix that. You almost really can't. So the- that's a good reason why you want the lights up higher so that the shadow that gets cast doesn't end up on their face. If it's on their shirt, their shoulders, whatever... I mean, that's you, you want to minimize it, of course, how you can. But we've got some constraints we're dealing with. And yeah. um, the, the first thing is just try to get it so it's not on faces. Well, and you had mentioned, too, if we're having the opportunity to put them on risers, you might think sure. that your problem is solved. But I have experienced myself where that problem still isn't solved. And it was definitely Photoshopped to the rescue because they shifted like a half, you know, half a pound or whatever of weight onto one other foot. So that shifted their body, you know, position in one shot. And then they went to the others, you know, between another shot. Well, that's where the shadow was, but everyone else looked awesome. That's where you cut someone's head off and transpose it in Photoshop <laughs> and just say, okay, that's the way it was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have done that a lot too. Uh, okay, uh, Brian, any, any other suggestions positioning the lights? Yeah. So when I, I bring my soft, I bring soft boxes to my weddings um, when I do the, the group family photos. And typically, I always try to do them outside and use natural light, but I bring them just in case I know that we're going to need to do them inside, uh, like on the altar. And so, I, I think a key is trying to have them on steps enough to where their head is above the head of the person in front, but that's not always possible. What I do is um, I will typically have two soft boxes with me. Uh, one of them will be, when I'm looking at the group, one of them will be to my right, and if I just had that, you've got a picture of the shadow it's going to create on, if it's to my right, it's going to light up their left side of their face. So it's going to put a shadow on the right side, as well as, like you guys mentioned, if there's somebody behind them, even though they're in between the two heads, it's going to put a shadow on their face also. Mm-hmm. So to cancel that out, I also have another one on my left. So it kind of lights up the right side of the face as well as the left side. And I have them somewhat usually somewhat close to me, um, just a tab it out of arm's reach. So that way, from the perspective of my lens, everything is kind of evenly lit. And at times I'll even have, uh, because I'll use the young Newell uh, flashes, yep. I'll even have the one triggering it on top of my camera to also fill in the light straight on. Right. Just to just to kind of help cover myself to make sure, okay, there's not going to be some shadows just on people in this row or some on that row. So in a way, I basically just turn on this huge floodlight from the back and just light them up. Right. Okay. And, and that was going to be one of the suggestions I was going to say here was adding a third flash in the middle is probably going to help, especially with the size of this group. As you, it, it, No matter how you do it with left and right... Um, as you point the flash towards those people that you're going to be taking the picture of, 
the middle is is the area where the two flashes are going to try to cover, but it's going to be weaker there. It's, it's falling mm-hmm. off. The light's falling off as, as it moves away from the flashes. And, uh, and so adding that third flash kind of right by you where your camera is, even on camera is fine. Then, um, then that just fills in a little bit on that middle part. Plus, if the, it, it can add some catch light for the eyes. So that, that's nice mm-hmm. too, to add a little catch light so that you can see that in the eyes. It's a, it, something that a lot of portrait photographers, especially if you look at commercial photos, they always have a catch light in that eye. And, uh, and so that, that makes it, that steps up the photo just a little bit. And it ends a really simple thing that had a third one. It doesn't need to have a modifier on it, but if you can, if you've got a modifier, like she could put the softbox there and then just turn the flash up, uh, pretty, pretty powerfully. Um, then that will make that catch light even bigger in their eyes. And, and that, that'd be kind of a nice thing there. All right. How about, let's talk about some of the settings, some of the camera settings um, that, that she's, she was asking about that too. How do we do the settings on these things, on the camera and on the flashes? But let's, so let, let's start, let's go through this and I want to go through it in the order. Um, I, I talked about this last episode too. I've come up with an order I like to think about through the settings it's not that I have a checklist necessarily, but if I was starting off, I wish that someone would have told me this as some, a, a helpful thing that I would have had when I was starting off, a way to think through the different things, um, the different settings and starting points to be able to, to figure it out. And to me, this is really a, a big part of mastering photography is coming into a situation and kind of knowing how you're going to attack that scene that you've got in front of you, the light that you've got. And what settings you're going to use. Um, having an idea of where to start, that's, that's what a pro does. They know how to go and, and set up their camera and their equipment so that they can get the shot. And, um, and if at first, when you're starting out, that's going to take some experimentation probably and, and figuring it out so that you kind of become so familiar with the settings that you can do it. But let's, let's go through the list in the, in the, in order I think should be helpful to people. The first one is picking your lens. So you gotta, you gotta figure out what lens you're gonna shoot first. And as you're just starting out, that's not hard. You probably only have one. But as you, as you get more lenses, you've gotta decide what lens you're gonna use. Uh, Jessica said that she planned to use a 24 to 70 here. Uh, it was a recent, recent purchase for her. And so, um, I wanted to see, uh, Brent, what do you think of the 24 by 70 for this group? I think that's a perfect selection for a, a group this size. It's going to give you maximum flexibility, both for framing and then, of course, positioning for where you need to stand. So if you have a really large room, you know, and you're able to set yourself back a little further, uh, that can be fine. You're also having maybe some light challenges, too, to keep that light as strong as you need it. But it just gives you maximum flexibility, and I think it's going to be a, a fine choice in this situation. Good. Yeah, I, I like the selection too. I love my, my Tamron 24 to 70. It's a beautiful lens. It's the G2 version. Image quality is great on my Canon. I, I really like that choice. I, for portraits, I pretty much go to that constantly now as I do it. Um, even though I, I have a 70 to 200 and I, I could use that and I, I may occasionally pull that out, uh, for, for a headshot. Uh, but I use a crop sensor too. So that it, it, I don't really usually need that longer focal length. Um, I think another. Think, I think another good thing about that lens, because that's what I use as well, is it gives you room to make some adjustments. If you have to all of a sudden have, because you know, there's times where I'm on top of a 15 foot ladder, and if I have to have people from the back row come up and felt the sides, or you know, or vice versa, it's nice to have a lens that you can you know go a little bit wider with, or go a little bit sure. tighter with. And so I, I, I too think that's a perfect lens for it. Okay. All right. So next, after you've decided on your lens, the next thing is going to be your focal length. So you have the 24 to 70. Do you go on the 24 side or the 70 side or kind of in the middle? Um, Brian, let's start with you. What do you think for, for this? And remember the constraints that she's got here. She's indoors. She's in a room. Um, what do you think would be the suggestion on the starting point for a focal length? Well, I guess my overall answer is do the best you can with what you have. (laughs) But I would say, you know, (laughs) typically anything around 50 or, or more tends to be ideal just to avoid, you know, any distortion of whatever individuals would be on the, on the side of the photo. And that's something to consider as well when you're placing people is, you know, if somebody is one of the bigger people, whether 
taller or larger in size, you don't necessarily want them to be on the edge of the photo, especially if it's distorted because it makes them look even larger. So, you know, just keeping that in mind. So I would say uh, at least 50 or higher. Okay. Right. What do you think? You agree? So his first statement, I absolutely resonate with as well, because there's certainly going to be some challenges. And as she goes to this, this event and where these people are set up and she's thinking 50 millimeters, it's possible it's just not going to work and you got to do what you got to do for what I would look for is as a relative size of the group, as it relates to how it's filling the frame, I'm going to want to have a little bit of elbow room on the edges, both the top, bottom and and the sides as well. So all four edges, just because of a little bit of flexibility in cropping afterwards, yeah. you know, I don't know exactly how they're going to use these images possibly. If they're only going to show them online, fine, crop really tight to just the group. But if they're going to put them in 8 by 10 frames, we want a little bit of flexibility in that. I would hate for you to have a setup that's really good, but it's also really tight. And that means that getting an 8 by 10 image means that someone's shoulders cut off or, you know, someone's elbows or whatever else may be cut off. So think about that, too, as you're shooting, giving yourself a little bit of room to just, uh, you know, fix it in post, as it were. And if you're doing this for clients with groups, you need to ask them and find out, you know, are you going to be putting anything over the image? Because sure. you know, sometimes people be like, they want, yeah, I'm going to have it say family reunion 2018 down here at the bottom. Okay, well, you don't want that to be covering somebody's face. So like you said, right. you need to make sure you leave some room there because you don't want to have to open it up in Photoshop later and enlarge the canvas and then stretch the, you know, the rug out or any of that. Okay, Which so you could do if you had to. <laughs> she, she also said later in her post, she's shooting a crop sensor here. It's a Nikon crop. Um, so that means that 24 to 70 is not 24 to 70. It's going to be probably closer to, I don't know, 50 to 9,500, something like that. So I suspect she's probably going to have to put her back to the wall <laughs> in, in shooting probably. this. Uh, yeah. with, with that many people, they're probably going to have to be filling the room and she's probably going to put her back to the wall and probably be closer to the 24 millimeter side of that lens than the 70 millimeter side. But that's just the constraints that she's got to deal with. And, and that's what you do. Ideally, if you could probably pulling that back out a little bit and having it be, um, you know, more at the 50 millimeters or, or, or longer uh, side of that lens would be better, but she's probably going to run right into that wall and not have a choice. So you deal okay, with the no, environment. I, I do have another option for her. Okay. She could shoot a vertical panorama and, you know, vertical would give her more height and allow her to take multiple shots, which that's, that's going to take some playing with. But, you know, if you're, if you're squeezed and your back's to the wall horizontally, you know, that is, that is another option. Sure. It is, it is much harder when you go to deal with it in post now, but yeah, it, mm -hmm. that would work. Um, okay, so that's, that's going to be the, we decided on the lens is 24 to 70 is a good lens, high, high image quality, and then try to get as, as, uh, deep into the focal, like as long on the focal length as you can before your back hits that wall and just do your best you can from there. Third on my list is going to be aperture. So, and, and this goes for anything you're shooting. This, this list I'm following and the order I'm going in is, is for any type of shot. It's, it's kind of the most important settings first. And, and then as you get through it, then um, it, it makes it so that you can make your decisions because you've already made decisions on the other ones. Now you can kind of dial in the settings based on other information like metering and stuff like that. But third, the, the next one to go through is aperture. And because the depth of field is, is a really important part of this. Um, when we talk about portraits, everyone seems to jump immediately to, well, we want f2.8. We want to, we want to go, um, uh, wide open on the aperture as open as we can, even f1.8 if we can. So it gets this nice bokeh. But in this case, you probably are going to have lots of rows of people. We don't want a very narrow depth of field here. We want a big depth of field. So, um, Brent, I'm going to start with you first. What would you suggest as a starting point on aperture? I would start, I would feel comfortable, I should say, starting at about f5.6 with the other settings that we've been talking about. But I don't know that I want to go any wider than that, simply because you had mentioned that idea of depth of field. It is too small. On a crop sensor camera, if we were to go 35 millimeter length of the lens, so that's not, you know, like a full frame equivalent, that's a true 35 on the, on the lens. 
at f5, 6, and if your subject, your main subject is at 10 feet, you're going to have a total depth of field of 5.68 feet. I'm just looking up dofmaster.com to help me as I'm talking about this. <laughs> And so that means you're focusing at 10 feet in distance. So that means you're probably going to be focusing on the, on row two. And at eight feet, that's, uh, where your depth of field is limited to the, on the front side of the, of the focus area. And then it goes back to 13.6 feet. So, uh, you have some room to play with there, but you might want to think about going to F8 just so you have a little more extra insurance on that depth of field. And you've got pretty much as, as best as possible, everyone in focus. I think some of the key that you said there is at that you're focusing on like the second row. Typically, you often hear, oh, you know, focus on whoever's closest to you. And, and, and I get that. But you've got to realize that as you change that aperture, aperture, the focus comes in not just behind your focal point, but also in front of. And so if you're focused on the second row, that allows the people in front of that to be in focus as well as the people in the row behind it. So I, I think that's another thing to consider is you know maybe focus on the front row take a couple shots maybe focus on the second row and then take a couple shots to be able to compare because that uh, depth of field is going to change okay so this is where i love the photo pills app this yes I, I i use this constantly to help me with this situation and if i was there i'd even step out the distance from my camera or in this case because i expect her to be back up against the wall I'd step out from the wall to the first row so that I had a better idea. If I know I'm roughly like a two foot step every time I step, then um, I, I will get a good idea about the actual distance from the camera to that row. And then I'm going to use the photo pills app. And, and so I just put it in just now. It's a Nikon D7200 is what she's going with. And I, we're going to assume 24 millimeters right now, just kind of worst case scenario. And uh, F8, we're going to try there. And if you're 10 feet away, then from your focus point, whatever you focus on, four points, four, almost five feet in front of that focus point is going to be an acceptably sharp focus. And then 52 feet behind it. <laughs> so, you, you know, everything behind wow. it's going to be in focus just fine. And you have about five feet in front of your focus point. So, yeah, if you did it on the first row and you're 10 feet away, at 24 millimeters and f8, you're you're pretty good. You're you're probably pretty solid, even if you focus on the front row. But you might want to focus on the back row, like you said. Now, if you change that aperture to 5.6, which being indoors, you probably want to open up the aperture as much as you can to let as much of the artificial or the ambient light in and helping you with <laughs> with the lighting as you possibly can. That changes now so that in front of the focus point is only four feet. So you lost a whole foot off of your depth of field there. Again, if you focused on the second row, you're probably probably okay. And this is 10 feet away. And all of those factors play a role. So let's go down to F4. At F4, if you're 10 feet away, you only have three feet. You lost another foot off of your depth of field in the front. And it also only goes to a little over seven feet behind the focus point. So now you're starting to get a depth of field that might be too narrow for the group at 10 feet away. And, but this is what I love about it. I can plug in the numbers and kind of see like what I'm dealing with. I, I have a constraint here um, that I've got I've to figure out what is the very best setting for aperture on my camera. And depth of field is critical. I, it won't matter how bright or dark or noisy uh, the photo is. If you have to increase the ISO, for example, if the, if the people in the back row are blurry or the people in the front row are blurry, that it won't matter what any else, anything else is if the people are blurry. So you got to make sure you nail that depth of field. And I love the photo pills app. The, the other thing that's nice about this is there's a little button at the bottom of the app that I'm using the classic depth of field calculator in the photo pills app. And at the bottom, it has a little button that has AR. So that's augmented reality. And what it's going to do is use your camera on your phone. And it's going to show you the scene in front of you and it's going to put little circles in the phone or on the camera on the phone that shows kind of the edge of the depth of field. What's going to be in the sharp? Where does the sharpness start and where does it end in the in the 
app. So it's super cool to be able to even just visualize it there and kind of see, especially if you don't want to step it out, you don't know how far away your camera is from it, then you can dial in some settings of a, of a guess. You hit that little AR button and then you it will show you where the lines are for the depth of field on the scene in front of you from where your camera is. It's so, so cool. It's very, very helpful. And see, so, Jeff, yeah, this is what I love about you. Like, this is such geeky. This is the geeky part of <laughs> photography. And you know how I make fun of you and everything about the geeky part because I'm just more of a oh, I experiment and then figure it out that way. Right. But uh, but that's awesome. That is so cool that an app like that can simplify it and help. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because well, like, like the worst thing would be getting on your computer. Like maybe you took the shot and you're like, yeah, that looks good. And then you get on your computer like, oh, no. The first row or the last <laughs> row, oh, they're blurry. That's <laughs> they are not sharp anymore, and you can't fix it. There's, there's, you're stuck, and so this, this is a way to help you make sure you don't end up in that situation. Get the right aperture. It's super important when you're doing these big group shots that you have the right aperture with your camera, your lens, your focal length, and and get all of that figured out so that you know for sure you've got it covered. All right. Anything else on aperture? No. Okay. Nope. <laughs> I think we're good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next in my list then, because aperture is just, uh, I think it's that critical. It's like the very first actual setting on the camera that I think of. Next is shutter speed. And uh, when it comes to shutter speed, I just love Connor's suggestion. I, I've heard him say this many, many times now on portraits. The best place to start at is one one sixtieth of a second. It's fast enough to make sure you're not going to introduce motion blur either from the people moving or your own camera shaking. Um, to, to cause problems with sharpness. And it's, it's within the max sync speed on most cameras. I, I haven't seen one yet where the max sync speed on a camera is less than 160th of a second. So uh, it's a good place to start. That's a starting point, though. What you need to do is make sure you have you know the things about your camera. What's the max sync speed? You are you're adding artificial light to this, so you don't want the shutter to go fast enough that it's going to be a problem where you end up with black bars on your photo, which is what the max sync speed is is all about. Um, and so, so one sixtieth of a second is a pretty decent starting point. And then, if you know your camera, you could make it go faster if you need. Um, like if you're outdoors and need to block out ambient light a bit more. Um, she's indoors, so she's probably going to be tempted to slow the shutter more. And that's where we talk about the general rule of thumb on shutter speed. And it's just a general rule of thumb. It doesn't mean it's guaranteed or it has to be strictly adhered to. But just to give you an idea, while you're shooting, you don't want to go any slower on the shutter speed than your focal length. She's going to shoot... We're, we're going to assume she's at um, uh, 24 millimeters here. Just guessing with the crop sensor in the room and stuff like that, that there's going to be constraints. It's probably going to be closer to the 24 millimeters. Then you don't want to go any slower than one twenty-fourth of a second. Now, that's not an actual shutter speed setting, so you'd have to go, you know, the fastest speed up from that. But, um, but that's kind of the general rule of thumb. At that point, you shouldn't have motion blur, at least from camera shake. If people move fast, you're probably still going to end up with motion blur. But they're going to do their best to kind of hold still. If you have kids, you might need to go a little faster again. But that's kind of the range that you need to deal with is don't go any slower on the shutter speed than your focal length. And you can't go any faster than that max sync speed. And you kind of kind of have to figure it out based on the aperture you could, you chose in the first priority of the list here of the settings then you get to the, the shutter speed and brian brent you guys have anything else to say on shutter speed no i i concur i think it's a great starting point and uh, that one one sixtieth certainly is a great starting point uh, i guess the only thing i would also if we were to take ourselves out of this scenario and let's say you put an 11 millimeter lens i would still caution people sure. about going with one fifteenth <laughs> of a second one thirtieth mm -hmm. is really that rock bottom no matter how wide you are uh for most folks it's really that rock bottom uh, but the other thing on the idea of the shutter speed, too, is if you're looking at it and you're just like, you know, I, I need to balance out the ambient light versus the flash and I just need a little more ambient. It's going to be super easy just to go a slightly slower shutter speed. It will allow more ambient light to come in. The flash uh, power doesn't change. So you're able to then balance that out a little bit 
if you can handle a little bit more exposure, of course, that's that, you know, that would have to be required uh, part of the scenario. But that's just something that's really quickly uh, done. And you can say, OK, you know, I've, I've balanced that out a little more. And that's that's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. As you're considering these settings, um, you're going to want to get some settings. So I like put it in manual and, and take a guess on settings. And then according, you know, after you take that test shot with your flashes firing, or maybe not, maybe you want to get a shot without them firing so you can see kind of what it's like that way. But then knowing what to do to adjust next is, is kind of the key. And with this situation, aperture is not really something you're going to want to adjust. You're, you're handling constraints where aperture kind of has to stay where it's at to get the right depth of field. You're going to open it up as much as you can, but you've got to have that depth of field. So now shutter speed becomes kind of one of those factors that you can play with a little bit. You have some room to to take the shutter speed up and down a little, probably not as yeah. much as you want, but a little bit. So, and in this case, getting it as slow as you can without introducing, um, uh, motion blur is going to be uh, something she's going to want to let that that ambient light of the indoor place get uh, affect the photo. Well, and your aperture, while it's also controlling that depth of field we've talked about, it's also controlling both the ambient light and the light from the flash, whereas the shutter is really only affecting the ambient light. Right. So there's a separation there of what's controlling what. And so that's just why I say, you know, if you need that little balance, maybe you need a little darker. Well, you might have a little room to close down that shutter just a hair to make the ambient light just a little darker or, or make it just a little brighter, depending on what you want for the end result of your image. Okay, last on the list is ISO then. And of course, we want to ISO as low as we can possibly get it. But it, it, it now becomes one of the ways that you can add that ambient light back in. And um, so, so increasing the ISO um, so that you can get the, to that exposure uh, that you want, you just kind of play with it from there between the ISO and the shutter speed, trying to get the exposure balanced the way you want it. Yeah, but if you're adjusting that ISO for more ambient, you're also going to have to decrease the flash then because right. the ISO is, is also going to, you know, overall and, and you would, if you want to adjust that, you'll have to then pull the flash back a little bit. But yeah, just, just knowing where to go and what to do, you know, that that's what we're talking about here. Okay, perfect. Now I, I had a, a little section here in the show notes I think we'll just get rid of because we're, I was, I didn't know that she was not going to be shooting outdoors. So I was, I was going to give some advice about shooting outdoors in a big group, but I think we'll just skip past that. Now let's go to the flash settings. You just mentioned that a little bit, Brent. Um, there's kind of two primary settings on the flashes. Um, for, for flashes, most flashes, the, the, especially the inexpensive ones is probably all you have. <laughs> so you have zoom and you have power. So, Zoom, right. what what would you say zoom-wise she should be looking at here, Brent? Usually, I'm going to set that zoom head on the flash to be the, the wider side of things. And the goal there is to fill the umbrella with that that beam of light coming out of the flash. Uh, you could certainly go with a more zoomed-in approach, but you're just not going to fill that umbrella and you're not going to scatter it as much. Okay. Brian, what do you think? I agree. I usually, my lenses are usually always at the, or my flashes are usually always at the widest, um, just for going through the, um, whether I'm using an umbrella or just straight off the camera, whatever it may be. I, I think the only time I, uh, zoom it would be if I'm trying to do something more spotlight ish and it's off camera, off to the side more. Sure. All right. And, uh, and Brian, what do you think about power? Maybe like initial settings. What, what would you do to hone in on what flash power setting to use? I like to usually start around one eighth. Uh, I just, at least for starters, uh, because I feel that that will allow the charge to happen quicker so I could fire off a few really quickly. Um, and then make any adjustments that I need to from there. I, I would say that I probably, usually it's between an eighth and a fourth is where I usually end up. All right. Brent, would you do anything different? No, I don't think so. It's with experience, you're going to know, you know, what you need to do uh, with a bigger group like this. You might need to go certainly a little more powerful because you might be having to set the the umbrellas and the lights further back, which right. is going to require more power. But it's it's about that starting point. Uh, you know, if your flash goes to like 164th or 128th or something like that, 
pretty well guaranteed, especially inside, even outdoors especially, pretty well guaranteed that's not going to give you the results you need for a large group like this. You got to go a little more powerful and uh, starting at your one eighth to one quarter and just keep bumping it up from there uh, as you need it. Okay. And, and it is something to say here that not all the flashes are the same with regard to flash power either. There's, sure, yeah. there's varying levels. The The less expensive flashes, they they tend to be less powerful and so one eighth there versus something that's a, a much more expensive, much more powerful flash, one eighth there is going to be different. So you're going to have to get some experience with your flashes and see what you're going to do. So a starting point is probably good. One eighth is, is a decent starting point. And then you can dial it in from there. Same way that you think about exposure settings, aperture, shutter speed, ISO, and, and how you're going to dial in the exposure. Kind of have to figure that out with flash. And that's why it might be good to kind of take a couple of shots without the flash so you can get the, the exposure settings on your camera dialed in first and then add flash in to get the desired result of, of what you want. And uh, so 24 millimeters or 24 on the on the zoom and then maybe start out at one eighth and, and take it from there. See what you have to do if you have to probably go up in this situation, um, increasing the flash power. And then watch too, as you're taking the shot, watch for the relative brightness between the front row and the back row. And if, if they're too bright, and maybe Brent, this is a, a good question for you. As you are dialing this in, let's say you got the front row, so they're finally lit the way you want, but the back row is too dark. What do you do? You lift the light a little more. That would be the first thing I would do. And secondly, if I had another flash, then I would try and find a way to position that flash so it was predominantly hitting the the back rows more than the front rows. So, like, throw your flash up in the air and just <laughs> fire go. away. Now, I mean, you could, you could if... Uh, a lot of this is also going to depend on the setting. I mean, if yeah. she's also in a very bright room, that's yeah. going to be different than if she's in like, you know, a barn with dark wood. In, in a cave but or something, yeah. If if there's a, I mean, if if she's somewhere else, not in a house, well, even in a house, you know, if there's a balcony up above and you can get up there and attach a flash up there and point it down, then that helps as well. Sure. And another thing I've done too with something like this where all all other hopes are lost, uh, this is not something I'd necessarily recommend, uh, but the situation just might call for it. And that is I've actually taken the umbrellas off and I'll just set the – it, this only works if you have light-colored walls and light-colored ceilings. Right. And I'll just set them kind of in the corners of the room or just somewhere where they're not shining directly at the people. I'll just kick that power all the way up and just let it just go crazy bouncing off all the different walls and, and ceilings. Uh, and, and then that can also even it out sometimes as well. But you got to be able to have time to play with that too because that can just ruin your shot completely. Uh, but I have had it at least in a couple of situations where that it has been the solution because it was just too crazy. I mean, I, I needed light here. I needed light there. I was just like, let's just light this whole stinking room. Bang. And it, and it, it, it works sometimes. Yeah. I've got two other crazy ideas. All right. Um, <laughs> and, and I guess if you already know how to do this, then you're good enough to figure this out without doing it. Is you could potentially have everyone in position, take your shot, have the first row move, take a shot, have that second row move, take a shot. And then you're kind of lighting up just row by row by row. And then you'd have to use some Photoshop skills. But that could work. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but the other thing that amazes me is I see a lot of the uh, sports like team photos and and I think you probably did this with the basketball one where they were all individual shots that were composited together and at least the ones that the schools do, uh, at least around here where I live, are really impressive where you're like, wait, that was just an individual shot, you know, because they'll have everyone face to the left and everyone face to the right and then they just like put all the pieces in together. I mean, you're probably not going to want to spend that much time on your family, especially if you don't enjoy the family time as much, <laughs> but that, that is always a crazy possibility. Yes, I have done that and it's really cool. It, it makes such a neat effect. The, the part that's over the top and I haven't done, there are a lot of people who do sports photos that then also make a reflective surface, make it look like they're standing mm. oh, on a reflective yeah. surface. And they'll do yeah. that by mirroring the image, putting it on uh, underneath and then dimming it. And man, does that take a lot of work? And I just didn't, I haven't gone there, but it's a very cool effect. It looks really, really neat. 
But um, and it would really improve your Photoshop skills. <laughs> it would. It would definitely challenge your <laughs> Photoshop skills. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, that's kind of part of the reason I've, t- I've done that before with the sports photos. I wanted to figure out how to do it. I wanted to figure out how to use Photoshop well enough that I knew how to do it. And, um, I, you know, I can watch videos and, and try to learn it. And that's great. It, it gives me an idea of where to go and what to do. But when I actually do, it's when I learn it. And so I, it's, uh, it really was fun. All right. Well, we were going to talk about doing some video with your camera, but I think we've we've gone on long enough in this episode. So I, I think we're going to go on to the doodads now. And hopefully, Jessica got a little bit of help. Um, it'll be too late for her shoot, I think. But but hopefully in the Facebook group, I, I, a lot of this advice that we just went through is, is what was offered there. So I hope it goes well for her. I'd love to hear from you, Jessica, on how it went. Let's go to the doodads. Uh, Brent, why don't we start with you? Sure. I am always on the lookout. You know, on winter quarter, I teach a WordPress class. I teach my students how to develop their own website. And I'm always on the lookout for neat plugins and the like. And I came across one the other day called, it's a gallery plugin. And it's kind of simple. I use the Enviro Gallery for my personal website. And it's got so many features and it's so wicked expensive. This one's not too expensive. It's called Modula and WP Modula. And um, if you just do a Google search on that, M-O-D-U-L-A, uh, looks like a pretty nice thing. It's it's fairly simple, but it's it's got some really good looking features. And so I'm going to probably recommend that to my students next quarter as we start in January. All right. Brian, what about you? Well, I I was under the impression we may have been talking about video, and that was <laughs> that was because that's kind of on my mind, and maybe we'll talk about that in another one. Yeah. But um, so my doodad was going to be the GoPro Hero Seven, uh, the new one, where it's pretty amazing if you've seen some of the reviews. The they say that you no longer need a gimbal, which you know, it's just the the features that the video recording the the difference in the amount of shake is just unbelievable and still pretty affordable. So mine would be the GoPro Hero 7. Excellent. I have a, I think it's a Hero 3 is the last that I got. Um, and I use it. Um, it's actually coming up real soon here. We're probably going to do it uh, pretty quick here. We do a year, every year we time lapse us putting up the christmas tree <laughs> so mm. because nobody is ever going to watch a two-hour video of your family putting <laughs> up a christmas tree that is just not going to happen so no. what i do instead <laughs> is, is i take it from you know, three different angles i have i set up all my cameras and the the gopro and then i uh put it into some software and and speed up the timeline so you can watch the two-hour process in about two minutes and uh and that's really that's super fun to watch people racing around and putting up the christmas tree and uh, it's really cool. So people want to get through that. It's really fun. I like it. I've, um, I've only used mine like once a year. I usually take it. Maybe I should keep this part on the download, but, uh, <laughs> when I, when I shoot like an NFL game and I'll put it on the hot shoe of my camera and give you kind of a first shooter's perspective, oh, yeah. which is fun. Um, I did that a couple years ago with Nick page and gave him the video stuff to let him mess with it. But he made a really cool video of that experience with it. So but yeah, this, this new one looks pretty impressive. What about you, Jeff? All right. So my doodad, uh, we've had some discussion in the Facebook group on this recently too, is Backblaze as an online backup service. It's, it's only $50 a year for unlimited backup. Everything, every drive that you can connect to your computer but via like USB or internally, you can back up for on, on that for $50 a year. Um, it won't work if you use like network storage, um, but if you can connect it directly via USB or Thunderbolt, then you can back it up that way for 50 bucks a year unlimited. The, the one caveat or thing that I, I'm going to say, I've said it over and over, but everyone keeps asking me about it as they go and finally get their backup service set up. This is highly dependent on your internet service provider. And they are not friendly to backup services. It doesn't matter which one you pick. It doesn't... Backblaze is no worse or better than another. ISPs have to manage their networks and they have to worry about people consuming a lot of upload speed, upload bandwidth, and they're going to throttle it. So even if it starts off like super fast, you're real excited because you set up your backup to go and, and it, it's predicting it'll be done in like, you know, three days because it's, it's getting really good speeds. It's going to slow down. And it's going to slow to a crawl and it's going to take months. And that's just how it is. 
And uh, the service provider you choose for the, your backup provider, it doesn't matter, Backblaze or otherwise, it's going to happen with your internet service provider. They just have too many people that they have to try to service and they can't have you using up that much bandwidth. So unless you have a very special provider, but most in the US have, have definitely gone to this. Um, and so anyway, Backblaze, I've, I've used them for a long time now. They're not an, It's not an ad here for them, but... It's been super reliable. I've gotten through a hard drive crash and not lost a darn thing. And it's been it's been awesome. So I highly recommend it. I've been thinking about testing that out at my internet service at work because the school has a fantastic internet service and I just wonder if they would throttle it just just so I can, you know, test it out and see, but I haven't done it yet. Yeah. It is it is something you should test because that's what I will do uh, when I get to school sometimes after when I know I need to back it up because I do have Backblaze. I'll just pop up my computer at school and just leave it during the day and find out that it usually uploaded right away where at my house it would take like a yeah. week. Yeah. 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 So it, you may find they may have more of a business type connection, which probably has a, a more flexibility, but will still probably mm-hmm. get throttled at some level. So. All right, sure. those are the those are the dude ads. Let's go to the the final notes here, the part that nobody listens to because they skip on to the next show. But <laughs> masterphotographypodcast.com is the new home for the show. You should go there for show notes and that link that we mentioned to create photography retreat that'll help you to get thirty percent off when you go buy the tickets or not thirty percent, it's thirty dollars off. I think it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, that Ouch. that is is uh, is there in the show notes. You need to use that link in order to get that deal. So go do that and the coupon code. So so go to the show notes to find that and go sign up for that retreat. We'd love to have you there. Facebook group Master Photography Podcast. We talked about that already. You can find my work at jsharmanphotos.com. You can also check out my other podcast, phototacopodcast.com. We. I release an episode every month. So it's coming up here in December in a couple of weeks. And on Facebook, I'm Harmon Jeff, Twitter, Harmon underscore Jeff, and Instagram, Harmon Jeff. But all that's in the show notes. So you don't have to remember any of it. Just go to the show notes. Brent, where can people find you? On my website, brentbergherm.com, I've got two workshops listed there, Total Solar Eclipse in Chile and Finding Your Creative Center. It's kind of how I'm trying to characterize the Croatia one that's in late August. And then latitudephotographypodcast.com. And then find me on Instagram, just my name, Brent Bergherm. And that's pretty much it. You do know that right now you have me singing Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> that should Wait, be my theme song. I, I didn't hear it, Brian. I think you better actually sing it. <laughs> no, Turn I remember what happened around. last time I did. Every now and then. Okay, no. <laughs> uh, you can find my work at uh, Brian McGuckin, which is... Brian and then M-C-G-U-C-K-I-N, but it's in the show notes. BrianMcGuckin.com on Facebook, Brian McGuckin Photography, Instagram at Brian McGuckin, YouTube is at uh, Brian McGuckin Photography, Twitter is at Brian McGuckin, uh, or somewhere running around. Uh, eventually, it is in here also that I'm the host of the Thoughts on Photography podcast, which is true, and I'm trying to bring it back to life, but have some uh, things that have to happen be- before I can get there, and I need to breathe. Yes. So. Yes, it'll breathe. happen someday, but I need to breathe. <laughs> breathe, Brian, breathe. That's good. I'm just glad we could get you on this episode. It's really fun. All Thanks. right. Thanks, you guys, for joining me. It was really good to have this discussion. I'm sorry we didn't get to the yeah. video, Brian. We'll have to do that another episode. <laughs> You're forgiven. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. We're so glad to have you with us on this podcast. You make it so we can keep doing this. So please keep listening and subscribe. So make sure you don't miss any episodes and we will see you again in another seven days. Turn around every now Bright and then. Eyes. <laughs>